So as Dave mentioned, we're starting a new series this week. We're going to be spending the next eight weeks in the book of Philippians, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people in a church in Philippi um, 2,000 years ago in the New Testament in our Bible. And we've called these series, this series True Joy. So we live in a culture where happiness, being happy, is a big deal. We're told it's the, the most important thing in life is to, is to be happy. So we're told to, to choose a career that makes you fulfilled, to, to, join, to start relationships that meet your needs, to, to buy clothes, to eat food, to go on holidays that make you happy. We're told that's what life is about, your own happiness. Problem is, when it comes to being happy ourselves, normally it's in the future. So it, it comes in the form of, I will be happy when? When I get that job, when I've fixed that relationship up, when I get better, when I buy those clothes, when I, when I go on that holiday, I'll be happy when? Problem is, when we get there, when that happens, it slips through our fingers, doesn't it? It's elusive. We, we look forward to things, we think they're going to make us happy, we think they'll satisfy us, but they don't. Happiness is elusive. And that's why the letter of Philippians is really remarkable, because... Oh, did I walk in the wrong place? Good. So Philippians is an amazing letter because in Philippians, Paul, just, it, the whole letter just breathes out joy and contentment and happiness. And it's now. It's not in the future for Paul. He's joyful now. Which is even more amazing because he's writing the letter from prison. His situation is not good, but he's got this incredible joy and peace and contentment. That's why it's a great letter for us to be studying. As we go through it over the next eight, eight weeks, we're going to find the secret to true joy. And it's not what the world tells us it is. The secret to true joy. So maybe, as I'm speaking, you've experienced this kind of elusiveness of happiness. Maybe you're not a Christian, and you know what that's like. And I want to encourage you, keep coming, keep listening. Because we're going to find in this series, as we go through this letter, this amazing short letter in the Bible, the secret to what true and lasting happiness and contentment really is. So if you've got your Bible, please turn over to page 980 in this black Bible. 980. That's the first uh, chapter of the letter to Philippians. Um, but before we dive in to chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we need to get a bit of background. What we've basically got in front of us is a 2,000-year-old bit of mail. And in order to understand this piece of mail written from a person to a group of people 2,000 years ago, we need some context. Who was he? Who were they? What was going on? To, in order to understand this letter. So the, the, the story behind this letter goes to about 10 years before it was written. Uh, So the story of Paul and the church in Philippi started on Paul's second journey, his second missionary journey. Uh, You can read all about it in Acts chapter 16. So he was was going into Europe, his first time into Europe. Philippi is kind of in northern Greece. Um, He went straight to Philippi because it's one of the major cities in the district, a kind of Roman colony. And it was on one of the major trade routes, so it was an important strategic place to go. Um, he went down to the river and started talking to some women. One of them became a Christian, Lydia. The church started meeting in her house. There was quickly trouble in Philippi. Paul got into trouble because he exercised a demon from a girl and the owners didn't like it. So they caused a riot. They beat him and put him in prison. The jailer in the, in the prison became a Christian, joined the church, but then Paul had to leave, had to leave the city after just a short time. But in that time, he'd established a church, a healthy church, a growing church. And the Philippians, the church in Philippi, had caught the vision of what Paul was doing. And so they kept in touch with him. So they, he went on after that to a town called Thessalonica and they sent support for him, he sent a gift. And they kept in touch with him throughout his ministry. They prayed for him. And they, became, they sent him more gifts. They became one of his main supporters, his main support team, the church in Philippi. And Paul kept in touch with them. So he went to see them on his next missionary journey. He popped in to visit. Um, after that, it went a bit quiet. 
from Paul. So they're wondering what's happening. And they hear news that he's gone to Jerusalem and he's been captured again. He's been beaten and put in prison and he's in danger of his life. And a few months later, they hear more news. He's been transferred to Rome. And he's in Rome and he's under house arrest. And the Philippians are concerned. So they they choose their best guy. They choose a guy called Epaphroditus, a solid, dependable, brave, courageous Christian in their church. And they send him all the way to Rome with a gift of money to Paul to help him out. He's in prison. And with a letter to encourage him and tell them the news. So Epaphroditus turns up and Paul receives this letter and this this gift. he's, He's overwhelmed. He's so grateful. Now, if you've ever lived in a foreign country for any length of time and you've received a letter from a friend, a physical letter, not an email, an actual letter in the post, you'll know that's a special thing. That person has been thinking of you. They know it takes weeks to get there, but they, they want to send you a letter because they're thinking of you, especially if that letter has a check in it. They're not just supporting you in prayer, they want to practically support you. It means a lot. So Paul gets this letter from the Philippian church and he's really touched. Epaphroditus uh, gives him some news of what's happening, but then Epaphroditus gets ill and, and the Philippian church hear about it and they're really concerned because he's one of their... One of their Best guys, they love him. And Paul's concerned too. Epaphroditus gets better. Time for him to go back. And Paul thinks, okay, I'm sending this guy back to his church. I'll send him with a letter to let them know how I'm doing, to encourage them that even though I'm in prison, it's not the end. God's working. And to just address some of the issues that Epaphroditus has told me about. There's a a little bit of disunity in the church. People are starting to grumble. Paul says, "I'll, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll have a go at that. So he sends his letter back. With Epaphroditus, you're still with me? And that is the letter that we've got in our Bibles. Okay? That's the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in the hand of Epaphroditus 2,000 years ago. So I want to encourage you, if you get a chance over the next week, to try and read this letter in one go. With what I've just said in mind, it's a short letter. It won't take you more than 20, 30 minutes, I guess. Try and read it in one sitting. There's so much in there, and you'll see as, as you read through that how the letter just throbs with, with joy and with, with, with peace and, and contentment. So today we're just looking at the first 11 verses of this letter. Um, loads we can learn from this, this chunk. But I want to just, before I, re- before I read it, I want you to just imagine that you're part of the church in Philippi. Okay, imagine you're there and you're in this city and you're working away in your day job, whatever it is, building things or you're an ironmonger or you're sewing clothes, whatever it is, and there's a knock on the door. And someone from the church rushes in and says, Epaphroditus is back. And you're amazed. You, 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 a few months ago, you thought he was dead. And he's coming back, and he's coming back, and he's here. And you rush out, you, you down your tools, and you go to the house where he's staying. And there he is, and half the church have gathered in this house. And they're hugging him, and there's kisses, and there's, there's tears. And Epaphroditus says, I've got a letter from Paul. I've got, we can't wait till Sunday. I've spoken to Lydia, and she's arranged a meeting in her house tonight. We're going to meet tonight, and we're going to read this letter. Come along. You go back home, finish your work. You're, you can't wait. You arrive half an hour early. Crowds are gathering. The church is, is seated. Epaphroditus stands up, unrolls the scroll, and reads. Let's have a read. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just going to pause there. Because these first two verses are the opening greetings of the letter, kind of standard form, but they're always significant in Paul's letters. And significant here is how Paul addresses himself and how he addresses them. He calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. He normally refers to himself as an apostle at the start of these letters to say, I've got this authority from God, this is who I am, this is my role. He doesn't do that here, perhaps because he's got a very close relationship with the Philippians, he knows he doesn't need to. Or perhaps because he wants to make the point, I'm a servant of Jesus, 
and you're a servant of Jesus. We're all servants together. We're, we're one. We're in the same family of Jesus. And he addresses them as to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He, he's not addressing just a few of them. It's all of them together with the elders and the deacons. So he's saying, I'm speaking to every one of you and you're all one. It's not leaders up here, church over here. You're all one and I'm speaking to all of you. So I'm going to read the rest of the, the passage. As I do, as I read the rest of the passage, just try and keep your ears open for the, for the tone. Try and feel Paul's tone of voice as I read this. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Did you get the tone? You see the tone that's coming through in, that, in those verses? It's so warm, isn't it? He clearly really loves this church. He loves the people in this church. He's got them in his mind. He says, verse 7, I hold you in my heart. He says, verse 8, he yearns for them. He longs for them. He says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. It's amazing. Every time, every time they come into his mind, he thinks, I'm so thankful for them. Every time he prays, I'm, so th- I'm just full of joy thinking of you and praying for you. It's amazing. The depth of the bond that Paul has with these people. Even more amazing that he's doing this from prison. So it would have been very easy for Paul to feel sorry for himself and just to get sort of bogged down in his own problems and perhaps probably forget about the people that have supported him, um, perhaps um, just feel sorry for himself. But he doesn't. He doesn't feel like that. How is this possible? How, how does he have this, this warmth in his heart when he's, he's in prison? Just imagine for a moment that all Christians felt that way about every other Christian they knew. Just imagine that. If every Christian was able to look their fellow Christians in the eye and say, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. It doesn't happen because in every Christian's heart there is sin, there is pride, there is jealousy, there is insecurity, there's selfishness. It doesn't happen. But what if it did? What if we all felt like this about each other? Imagine the wounds that would be healed if we felt like this. Imagine the divisions that would be brought together if we all felt like this. Imagine. You might think, well, I'm just not wired like that. I'm, I'm just not that kind of person. I don't feel passionately about things. Maybe you're one of those people that just kind of emotionally flatlines. Whatever the situation around you, you're neither happy nor sad. You're just level. Or maybe you are one of those people that feels passionately. Maybe you do love and you do feel anxious and you do feel passionate. But normally when you think of other Christians, you feel passionately frustrated or passionately insecure or passionately annoyed, whatever it might be. 
How is this possible that Paul feels like this? Well, it didn't just happen. Paul's feelings didn't just appear. There's a reason for the way he feels. And seeing that reason is going to give us the key. The key for how we can be a church, how we can be a people who has this kind of warmth and affection and bond in our heart with each other. It happened for Paul and it can happen for us. And the reason that he feels like this is right there in verse 5. He says, in every prayer of mine, I, I, I make my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's the partnership that Paul has in the cause of the gospel with the Philippians that creates these bonds. It's, it's working together in the cause of serving Jesus that makes him feel like this, makes him feel this kind of joy and, and warmth and affection for them. Now, this word partnership, okay, it, it doesn't just mean being members of the same social club. It, it comes from the business arena. It, it kind of means it's like two people starting a business together and they're wholeheartedly committed. They're all in. And every day they're there in the office, they've given everything to it. They're partners in that business. It has more of the feel of a project team staying up late, working together on a project, that you're wholeheartedly in something together. Partners. And it's true, isn't it? Bonds are created when you are fully committed to something with someone else. Bonds don't get created just from turning up. So in my old company that I worked in before I finished my job last summer, um, there was a guy who I worked with. I worked with him for a couple of years. We got on very well. He's a nice guy. Had two boys, similar age to our girls. But I didn't really know him very well. Always got on very well. We had coffee together, but I didn't know him. About six months before I left the company, I was assigned a project uh, that was pretty sort of high pressure. It was a French client, and they wanted us to use a new kind of calculation method for them that would hopefully bring their costs down. Their offshore wind farm was too expensive. They wanted us to do this. Anyway, I'll explain it. It's too complicated. But it was, it was quite high pressure. It was the first time we'd done it. Okay, so the tight deadline. And I got this guy to work with me on the project because I knew he had a skill that I needed. And um, it, was a, it was a pretty brutal six weeks. We both ended up taking our laptops home most evenings, checking them at the weekends to make sure everything was going as it should. First thing we did every morning was checking with each other, have a little debrief, make a plan for the day. At the end of that six weeks, when we delivered the project and we did manage to shave a big chunk off their cost, about 30%, it was a great feeling. And we celebrated together and we knew each other. And that project of experiencing that pressure together had created a bond. When we're fully committed to something with other people, it does, it creates bonds. And the more significant the cause, the deeper the bonds that are created. So it's one thing working on a project that work with something, someone. It's another thing altogether working in the cause of the gospel. And that's what unites Paul and the Philippians. They're partners in the gospel together. That's what unites them. The gospel just means good news. Good news that, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to save the world from our lostness and our, our brokenness and our rebellion against him. The good news that Jesus did everything it, it takes to bring us back into relationship with the God we were made for. The good news that we can have all that for free. That it's, it's that, good, that good news, the gospel, that it was Paul's mission to share. Paul had, had caught the vision of the gospel and he, it was his mission to share it with the whole world. And it was that good news that the Philippians caught the vision of. Paul shared the gospel with them and they got it. They said, this is the most important thing in the world and we want to get right behind you. We're going to give everything to get behind you, Paul. Wherever you go, we'll keep in touch. We'll send you gifts. We'll pray for you. We're behind you. The Philippians caught the vision 
of the gospel that Paul had caught the vision of. And with that history, that shared history, that partnership in the gospel, then whenever Paul thought of them, he was thankful. And whenever he prayed, he prayed with joy. It's partnership in the gospel that creates these, these deep bonds. And it's, it's true, isn't it? Maybe you know the feeling. Maybe you've been here at church at quarter three, an hour before church is due to start, and you look up and you look around, and the, ch- the room's full of people, whether they're setting out chairs or setting up refreshments or re- rehearsing in a band or getting ready for the kids' work, and you, maybe you pause and you look around at people and you think, wow, I love these people. We're a team together. Or maybe you've had the experience where you're in a prayer time, a prayer meeting or, or praying after, after life group one week and you do that thing you're not supposed to do where you open your eyes when everyone's praying and look around and you see people with, the, with their heads bowed and that you're praying for something together, a cause that's uniting you, a person you care for that's in trouble, the church to grow, God to be at work and you have a moment and you think, I love these people and there's a bond. Or maybe you've, you've worked in a team fixing up someone's garden and we're together, we're doing it together and you look around and everyone's got a job and you think, this is great, we're doing it together. Or maybe you've, you've been in tots and there's, there's someone there and they're surrounded by kids climbing on their shoulders and they're reading a book and they're playing a game and you think, this is great. I love that person. Or you're, you're tidying up a room. We've put on an event as a church and we've been praying for it for weeks and it's gone really well. People have come and people have heard the gospel. They've heard the good news about Jesus and it's, it's gone well and we're tidying up. There's 10, 15 people in the room. It's 10 o'clock at night. You're tired, but there's a bond because you're working together for a shared cause and that creates bonds because it's for Jesus and there's no better cause and the deeper the cause the deeper the bonds the deeper the partnership so that's the source of Paul's joy and that's what's going to take us as a church from being just members of the same club to being people who have each other on our hearts that's what will take us there and when Christians have that kind of committed partnership there's four things that happen And these four things are in the passage here. They happen to Paul and we can see them in the rest of the passage from verse 6 onwards. So the first thing that happens when Christians have that kind of partnership together is that we're encouraged by seeing God's work in each other. That's verse 6. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, because you've stood with me and you've partnered with me and I can see your passion for this, that's God's work and I know that that's going to continue and that God's going to finish his work. That's God's work in you. It's not normal. This kind of wholehearted giving of self is not a normal thing to happen. It's not normal for the Philippians to stand by Paul while those riots were happening in Philippi and he was being beaten. It's not normal for the Philippian church to stand by Paul when he got put in prison and, and, and stick with him. It would have been very easy for them to turn their backs on him and disassociate themselves from him, but they didn't. They stuck by him. It's not normal to give up Sunday afternoon to put out chairs for church. It's not normal to give up whole chunks of your week to prepare lessons to teach other people's children about Jesus on a Sunday afternoon. It's not normal to wake up and get a text from someone who's set their alarm half an hour early so they can pray for you because they know what you're going to be doing that day. It's not normal. It's not normal to be in a church where you hear of a practical need and you think, how can I help in that way? And by the time you've got around to helping, three people have done something already. Someone's made a meal, someone's lent a car, someone's gone to pray with them. It's not normal. It has to be God's work. It's God who does this work in us. And when we see that, we're encouraged because God finishes what he starts. He started the work and therefore he'll complete it. Gradually and ultimately at the day of Jesus, where one day we will love each other perfectly with no disunity, no selfishness, no frustration. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we're bonded by experiencing God's grace together. That's verse seven. 
Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the Philippians stood by Paul through the riots, through the beatings, through his imprisonment. They stood by him. They didn't leave him. And therefore, because they stood by him, they experienced with him the joy of seeing answered prayers. So when the the Philippian jailer came to Jesus and became a Christian, the Philippians shared in that joy with him because they'd not left him, because they'd stood by him, because they partnered with him. They saw answers to prayer and they were encouraged by that. They'd shared in God's grace together. And when we work together, when we see answers to prayer together, and when we experience God's kindness as a father in caring for us together, that creates bonds. It creates a closeness. Uh, a number of you were involved last year in the nativity that we put on in December. Um, it was a bit of a risk, the first time we'd ever done it, a live nativity with animals and actors, and it was all outside on a local farm, and we didn't know how it would happen, how, how it would work. We'd not done it before, so we planned a lot, um, but there was a, one of the biggest risk, risk factors was the weather. Okay, so we're having this whole thing outside, about 5% of it is inside, most of it is outside, so we really need it to be a good day, and it's in December. It could easily be raining, snowing even. It's bound to be cold. So something we can't control, so we prayed. We prayed for weeks. We prayed for a good day. We prayed for, for, for clear weather. We prayed that all the details of the event, the safety, the parking, the, the stewarding, the acting, that people could hear, would all work out. Came to the day, beautiful, glorious, clear day. The second performance, you could see the stars. And everything just worked. The people could hear what was, what was said. And the babies even cried at the right time who were playing Jesus. It was, and we experienced that answer to prayer together. And if you were on that team, you'll know the feeling of bond that's created when you work on something together, you're committed to it, and you see God answering prayer, you partake in grace together, you see him work, you see his kind fatherliness, and it creates a bond. It, it makes you feel, I hold these people in my heart. You look around and you think, yeah, we're in this together. Thirdly, We love each other more deeply. That's verse 8. Paul says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. When you partner with people, you you begin to love them more deeply. You care for them. This is a really strong word that Paul uses. He says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. That, That word affection is, it refers to a kind of love that comes from the stomach. Like a deep love. You know the kind? Love that comes from the stomach. I get it sometimes when I go into our girl's bedroom in the evening when I need to get something from their drawers and I catch a glimpse of them asleep. I look at them both asleep. I think, ah, I love you. And it comes from my stomach, you know? You know that feeling? Well, Paul says, that's how I feel about you. I've got this affection coming from my gut. And it really struck me this week as I was reading this, the, the words that Paul uses. He says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul uses that word, that, that powerful, strong affection words about Christ he says God feels this about you God feels that kind of love do you think about God like that my guess is naturally you don't we naturally think God is emotionally detached from his world we think he's in charge and makes decisions but he doesn't feel things Paul says the affection of Christ Jesus he God feels he's he's emotionally engaged he feels that kind of stomach pulling love and it was that that took him to the cross he loves it he loves us that much he loves the world that much and Paul lives in that love and because he lives in that love 
he then lives to share that love because he's tasted of it and he's seen how, how good it is, how powerful it is. And therefore, his, that love then flows out to those who are partnering with him, the Philippians. He lives in it, he lives to share it, and it flows out to those around him. And because he loves the Philippians like this, that then naturally overflows into prayer for them. And that's our fourth thing. When we're partners like this, we pray for each other more deeply. That's just what happens when you love someone like this. But what does he pray for? Let's have a look. Verses 9 to 11. Have a look down. Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does he pray for? Well, right at the heart of his prayer, don't know if you noticed, is, is love. He lives in the love of God. He loves them with that love. And his prayer is that their love for each other and for God would abound more and more. He knows they're loving each other, but he says, I want that to happen more and more. That's his prayer. And it's a natural prayer. When he's seen the goodness of God's love, that's what he wants for them. But it's not just any love. It's a love with discernment. It's a love that knows what's good and what's, and what's better. Not just what's good, but what's excellent and best. And we'll see more later in the letter of what Paul means by that. He'll flesh that out a bit more for us later in the letter. And it's a love which has an end goal, an end goal of, of purity and good works. He wants a harvest to come from their love for each other. Just worth noting here, Paul's prayer, it's really it's spiritual, isn't it? It's not just physical. He prays for their hearts. He doesn't just pray for their situations. He doesn't just pray they'll be kept in good health and kept from persecution and kept from suffering. He prays that their love would abound. And it's not wrong to pray for situations. It's not wrong to pray for people's health and for people's workplaces and for interviews and whatever. It's really important to pray for those things, actually, as we're a church that cares and loves for each other. Um, but our, if, if, we, if we're really partners in the gospel, if we really taste that of God's love, we'll want more than that for each other. We'll want more than just situational prayers. We'll want each other to love each other more. We will be praying for those things. We'll pray for each other more deeply. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's wonderful. Paul's got this incredible bond with the Philippians. It, it comes all the way through these verses. He cares about them. He, he loves them. He feels this affection in his heart for them. And he's encouraged by seeing God's work. And he, he sees that God's been at work together and they, they share in these experiences of God working and they've got this, this love for each other and he prays for them in this way. It's a beautiful picture. And I've been asking myself this week as I've studied this passage, do I love my church family like this? Could I say this about Trinity Chippenham, my brothers and sisters? Can I say, I thank my God every time I remember you. When I pray, I always pray with joy. I hold you in my heart. I, I yearn for you with that affection that Paul talks about. Can I say that? Honestly, I think the answer is yes and no. As I've thought about this and I've prayed for you, I've felt, I have felt incredibly thankful for all of you Every one of you, from those who are here early every week to those who are just new to the church and just starting out and getting to know us and getting to know Jesus. I'm thankful for every one of you. And there is a joy. I have felt joy from serving Jesus with you. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm so grateful for it. But every time I think of you, and then every prayer with joy, honestly, sometimes I'm just tired. And sometimes I'm distracted in my praying. And sometimes I'm just selfish. And I don't like people interrupting my comfortable life. And that's why I've been encouraged as I've read this passage by verse 8 and by the, the words that Paul uses here. When Paul says that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ, that shows us that Paul's feelings for them, Paul's heart for them, are kind of a picture 
of Christ's heart. Paul's love is really Christ's love. So I can't love you like this. Consistent, I, can't, I can't do it consistently. But Jesus does. Jesus does. He loves each one of you in a wholehearted and committed way. He's all in. He's so all in, it took him to his death. And if you're his, he yearns for you. He holds you in his heart. He, he yearns for you with an affection that comes from his stomach. And he prays for you. And I think every time he remembers us, his children, he prays with joy. I think he does. It's amazing. And that's the way forward for me, with my inconsistent heart, and for you, if you're anything like me. It's the way forward. is for us to get a glimpse of that love of God, that love of Jesus for us, that committed, steadfast, passionate, unconditional, undivided, perfect love for us. And as we get a glimpse of that, as we catch a taste of that, we'll begin to live to share it with others because that's what makes it so good because we've tasted it. And then, as we live to share that with others, that love will overflow to those who partner with us and those who share that vision, who are on the same mission. Our love will overflow in this way, it just will. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, sounds great, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that. I'm not quite all in to this church thing or this Jesus thing. Um, maybe that's because you haven't actually tasted the love and grace of Jesus for a world who's, uh, who's broken and needs him. Maybe you haven't actually tasted it for yourself. And if that's you, I would say keep pressing in, keep coming, keep finding out more about Jesus, about this, this God who is different, about this God who feels, this God who loves, this God who gave himself. Find out more and you'll find it could change your life. Maybe you're thinking you're not quite there yet and you have tasted that love, you have tasted that grace and you want more and you, and, you, and you love Jesus but it's just early days and you're just still exploring things and you think, well, you know, I'm just, just getting there. And I would say the same thing to you. Keep pressing in. Keep finding out more. This really is true. Bonds are created as we partner together in a cause that's greater than us and the further you go, the more you'll find it's true. The further you go in, the further you risk yourself to open yourself up to Jesus and to the community of the church, and the more you find out what it means to to, to give yourself wholeheartedly to his cause and his mission, the more you'll find out. Yeah, as I work with these people, as I I serve Jesus together, as I do this, I'm finding I do love them. I'm finding there are bonds created. There There is this affection. There is this joy. And it's wonderful. And the result, verse 11 is that we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we do this together, as we press in together, as we give ourselves to him together, the world will see the glory of God and we'll get a taste of the true joy, the true joy that we were meant for, that God made us for. Let me pray and I'll hand over to Dave. Father, thank you so much for um, Jesus. Thank you for his uh, committed sacrificial, passionate, unconditional love um, in going to the cross. Thank you, Father, for the love that you want to share out on each person here, the love that you want to, to give to us. And Father, I pray as we get a glimpse, get a taste of that love, that we would uh, catch the vision, that we would want to live to share that with others. We'd want to, to pass that on. 
And Father, as we do, and as we do that in the context of a church, a context of a people pulling together on the same mission, that you would uh, fill our hearts with love for, for you and also for each other, and that we would find that kind of joy, that kind of affection, that kind of yearning for one another, where we're on each other's hearts and not just members of a club. Thank you, Father, that true joy is possible in you. Amen.